we are starting a new series uh, today. Uh, we're going to spend seven weeks uh, looking at God in the Psalms. Uh, and so what we'll do is each week we will be uh, thinking about some aspect of God's character or capacity uh, expressed in the Psalms. And we'll be drilling down on that attribute uh, so as to be able to see who our God is uh, more clearly. And my aim today is to deepen our sense uh, of the gracious and compassionate heart of God. Uh, may the Lord help us all. So before we start, um, with all seriousness, let's pray for God to help us. I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, uh, we pray uh, that now, by your spirit, you would help me to speak uh, in a way that's pleasing to you, uh, that's clear, that, ac that accords with truth. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would build up your people. Uh, show us who you are, what you're like, uh, and help us, Lord, uh, that the eyes of our hearts might be expanded to grasp that more deeply. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little bit of rationale for why uh, uh, slow right down like this and spend a whole sermon on uh, one verse. And believe it or not, I'm not even going to speak about the whole verse. I'm simply going to be speaking on the first uh, six words. Now, we may have a load of cares that occupy our hearts and minds, uh, but is there anything better than going and, as Charles Spurgeon once said, uh, plunging ourselves into the sea of the Godhead, into his immensity and infinity, uh, and find ourselves returning refreshed and invigorated. Uh, it's good for us to slow down how easy it is for us to read words like this in a psalm and just to glide over uh, a phrase like that. But if we pause and reflect, is that not, new, is that not a wonderful thing? That the Lord, uh, the creator of all things, the God behind all that exists, over, under, in, through, everything that is, the God who is, is gracious and compassionate. That's what he's like. Uh, as Christians, uh, this is actually our joy, isn't it? Psalm 27 says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And that beauty is a manifold beauty, all kinds of uh, facets to that beauty and this is what we do with things or people that we love and admire isn't it we gaze reflect admire like a schoolboy with a football collector's card admiring and enjoying the skill of the player or a gardener with their flowers the scent the colors the design now if you are listening in if you're just visiting us today and you're exploring the christian faith uh, this is a good point for me to say to you uh, that this is what the Christian faith offers to you. Uh, we offer God, uh, not, that, not as though we, we were in po uh, uh, the possessors or owners of God, uh, but, we, but rather that we are the tellers of, of God, uh, proclaiming who he is and what he's done and what he's shown of us. But ultimately, what I'm saying is, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we, are, we are speaking of what we offer. What the Christian faith offers 
is a relationship with God. Uh, the privilege of having the eyes of our hearts knowing who he really is. Not simply the forgiveness of our sins, not less than that, but more. Uh, the forgiveness of our sins has its own sweetness to be true, but it is not the final end. The final end is that forgiveness of our sins means the removal of that which hinders relationship with God. It's God that we get. And this is how it works in human relationships, does it not? So does it not make sense? For example, I'm glad that my wife has forgiven me, not simply so that I can repeat uh, the joy of being forgiven in her presence, but so that the sweet relationship that we had prior to my foolishness and sin can be continued to be enjoyed unhindered. And so it is with God. Uh, not only that, and just a, a couple more things to, to help us to appreciate why it's good to, to pause and think about God like this, uh, is that this actually helps our faith to know our God. Psalm 9, verse 9 to 10 says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And then it says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. Those who know your name put their trust in you. It means those who know what you're like. Those who know your capacity, your character, those who know you put their trust in you. As we see who our God is, as we grasp that he's gracious and compassionate, it will strengthen our faith. And lastly, thinking about God changes how we understand other truths. There's an old, um, uh, what it's called a catechism, which is a way of teaching by, by means of question and answer. And one of the questions is, what is your only comfort in life and death? It's the question asked to the Christian. The Christian response is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Or, for example, we learn uh, that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit himself is coming to live among his people. Now, here's the thing. It makes all the difference in the world who God is as to how we experience these statements. Why is it good to belong to God and to our Saviour Jesus Christ? Not just because he's a swell guy, but because he's able to save. Not just because he knows how to judge, but because he knows all things and he will judge rightly. Who God is makes all the difference. The fact that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit is amazing because it's a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So it's good for us to learn about our God, to pause and to think about what he's like. That's an introduction to today and to the series. Uh, and as I've already said today, uh, believe it or not, we're going to just be looking at those uh, two words. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. They're words that regularly appear together and while slightly different can be treated uh, somewhat as a pair. Uh, but what we'll do is we'll just think about them in turn, just to help us think a little bit more deeply, what, what does this mean that the Lord is gracious and compassionate? So starting with gracious, uh, a gracious disposition, uh, sorry, gracious, being gracious is a generous uh, disposition in which God is inclined towards helping those in need, uh, to, be, to be favorably disposed, as it were. Uh, it's somebody, a gracious person, somebody who sees need and has pity. The opposite would be to show no mercy. 
which is not God. God, our God, is gracious. An example of this uh, is perhaps helpfully seen in Joseph. Uh, we probably know the story. Joseph um, is sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, and at, at one point, they actually uh, cast him into a, a pit. Um, and then eventually they sell him to, um, to slave traders, to merchants. And um, reflecting on what they've done wrong uh, in the future, these brothers, these 11 brothers of Joseph, they, they say to one another, um, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. You see there that picture of Joseph, he's, he, he's been sold or he's in the well and he begged us that, that, that we would be gracious to him. That's the same word. It's the verb form of gracious. That's what Joseph's doing. He, he's effectively saying what he did was he asked us to be gracious to him, but we didn't. That's quite a, quite a potent picture. Uh, but the Lord is gracious. He's disposed that way. It also says then he's compassionate. He's gracious and compassionate. Uh, perhaps one way to see what it means to be compassionate is in contrasts. Uh, the Lord, the God of the Bible, the God whom we worship and serve, is not indifferent, uncaring, mean, nasty, cold, merciless, heartless, cruel, harsh, or hard. That's not God. That's not the God who is. The God who is, is warm, moved, tender, sympathetic, gentle, caring. We see uh, this reality embodied and expressed uh, in the Son of God, Jesus, as he weeps over Jerusalem. There is compassion welling up uh, into tears down Jesus's face. That is our God. He is compassionate. He sees the need and he's moved with pity. An example here on compassionate is in the Bible uh, as well. In, in 1 Kings, for example, uh, there's a story where uh, two women, um, that they've, they've got, um, they have babies. Uh, and in the night, very sadly, one of the, one of the women uh, rolls over onto her baby and the baby dies. Uh, but what happens is she actually takes the other um, woman's baby, um, puts it next to hers, and she swaps the babies. Um, and then what happens is this woman wakes up and realizes, I've been duped. I've had my baby uh, swapped uh, in the night by this other woman. And they go to the king, they go to Solomon. It's a display of Solomon's wisdom. And Solomon is trying to work out who truly owns this baby. And there's a point in the story where, where Solomon, uh, he, he says, okay, what we'll do is we'll, we'll, why don't we chop the baby in half and we give half to each uh, of the women. He knows he's, 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 um, he's making a bluff because the real, the real mother is therefore going to uh, speak up. And, and sure enough, she does. The real mother, it says, her heart warms with compassion towards that baby. Uh, her heart is moved. Uh, and we can imagine that picture, that great love of a mother, uh, how much she, she loves that child and her heart inside of her, her whole body is taken over, you can imagine as it were. And she says, no, let the other woman have the baby. Uh, 
rather than what you're suggesting, Solomon. And sure enough, Solomon knows this is the true mother. But you see, there's another powerful, strong picture of compassion. Uh, she's moved with compassion. Her heart warms. And that's the kind of language that's used of God in the Bible to speak about uh, his, his, his heart towards the people that he's made and towards uh, his, his chosen people, Israel. What I'm trying to draw out here is I'm trying to draw out for us and to see the heart of God. Just pause with me for a moment. Is this not wonderful? Is this not wonderful? That you can peel back the layers of God. So what's in behind that? Gracious and compassionate. Peel back again, gracious and compassionate. And again, gracious and compassionate. Drill right in. And you will find that right in the core of his being, he is gracious and compassionate. That is what he is. That is who our God is. But how does the psalmist know? How does the psalmist know that he's gracious and compassionate? Well, actually, uh, right from the beginning of Israel's story, uh, they are taken out of Egypt. They go to this mountain called Mount Sinai. Uh, and this is where God reveals himself to Israel. He makes a covenant with them. It's an agreement as to how the relationship between them is going to work. Uh, and in that whole uh, episode, uh, Moses, at one point, he says, Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to know what you're like. This is before they know a huge amount about uh, this God, about the Lord. Um, and so the Lord says, yes, uh, come up the mountain, hide in a rock, and I'm going to pass by you, and I'm going to show you my glory. So Moses does. He goes up a mountain, he hides in the rock, uh, and the Lord passes by. But as he passes by, Moses doesn't see anything, but he hears something. The Lord reveals himself to him, and he says, the Lord, the Lord, the, that is the one who is, the God who is, and then he says this, gracious and compassionate. First thing out of his mouth. Moses, you want to know who I am? You want to know who the living God is? Gracious and compassionate. And that becomes foundational for Israel's life, uh, for how they view their God. And it's grabbed onto by others in the Bible as well. Jonah, for example, we hear it again in the book of Jonah. Uh, the Lord again reveals himself to Jonah. Why does he have mercy on Nineveh, that, that, wicked, that wicked city? Why? Because he's gracious and compassionate. What does Nehemiah do when he's uh, somebody else uh, in Israel, uh, a leader of Israel? He calls out to God. And what does he appeal to? He says, Lord, you are gracious and compassionate. They hold on to that. But this is a series called um, God in the Psalms, I hear you say. So what about the Psalms? Well, that is precisely what the psalm writer uh, is doing. Uh, he's doing it here in Psalm 145, verse 8, the one that we've read. Uh, but actually... Um, the significance of the Lord being gracious and compassionate in the Psalms is not the number of times uh, that we just read that bare statement, the Lord is gracious. It's not as though that statement is just repeated uh, over and over and over again. The significance is uh, that what we do see in the Psalms is the Psalm writer, like Joseph, using the verb 
of that same word. He says uh, repeatedly in the Psalms, be gracious to me. Be gracious to me, Lord. Open your ear. Hear my prayer. Be gracious to me. And on and on and on he goes. What's happening is uh, he's making prayers, but the ground of those prayers is that the Lord is gracious. He's looking up and he's saying, Lord, this is what you're like. This is, remember Sinai, remember Moses on the mountain and you, you passed by and you said, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate. And he's saying, that's who you are. Be what you are to me. Be what you are in my situation, in my plight, in my trouble, in my misery, in my state, in my sin. Be gracious as you said you are to me. So the Lord is gracious and compassionate. There's a few things here now that we have to um, fit this into a wider picture. And we have to say, okay, what does it really mean that the Lord is, is gracious and compassionate? You, you've shown us, uh, Dave, a little bit about his warm heart, his tenderness, uh, his mercy. He's inclined towards giving and helping and having pity. There's a couple of wrong ways to understand it. Uh, first is that God's gracious uh, and compassionate disposition is not something that's in opposition to his holy and righteous justice. He's fully both. This is a great tension in scripture. Uh, there's a question, how, how can he justly deal with sin and yet truly show compassion and grace? It's like a good, as an example, it's like a good and just judge who, who devastatingly finds his own beloved son is the guilty perpetrator of a horrible crime against an innocent victim. And there he is. Justice demands recompense, and yet compassion longs for there to be another way. God is indeed a morally, holy, righteous, and just judge who by no means condones any sin whatsoever and will indeed repay all wrongdoing. And for all who have chosen to live their, uh, their own way, not to follow him, this repayment will be unbearable and unending. God's justice is strict, exact, and proportionately severe. I've heard a sermon uh, from a young man who was, and I believe he did this with all good intention, uh, trying to emphasize for us hearers uh, the kindness and compassion of God, uh, because he, perhaps he's, he, he, he has met the tension himself in the scripture and, and perhaps he didn't know how to resolve it. Uh, but in order to do so, in order to emphasize for us hearers how kind, compassionate and loving God was, uh, he tried to describe what God was not like. Uh, and he said something to the effect of, of this. He said, God is not in heaven making a note of every little thing you do wrong. It's not like he's, he's watching every step and, and, and making, uh, making a little note and writing out all your mistakes in a book. You know, it's not like that. And I, 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 can, 
I can think that he, he was, had, a, had, a, had good intentions in what he was trying to do. But the presence of a book aside, he, he's painted the wrong picture. In fact, he's, he's totally missed it. For one, God is making a note. He is watching. He sees not only every action, but also every thought and every secret word. And he's taking note. What he's not doing is he's not taking the notes in a mean-spirited way. That's where uh, his illustration, that's one way his illustration went astray. He's not taking notes like a bitter enemy scheming for revenge. He's taking notes like a sober and just judge would make so that he, uh, so that he can make sure that he got all the details precisely accurate so that perfect justice can be done. He sees all, he knows all. The Lord is not ignorant of these things. The radical picture of God's grace and love is not that he doesn't make notes. What shocks is that he shows grace right in the very face of the notes. The radical fact is that in Jesus, he nails that set of notes to the tree and then sinks them to the depths of the grave. Those notes have been taken, but they are indeed remembered no more because Christ has paid for them all. Going back to our judge and son analogy, God has made a way for justice to be done. There's no compromise whatsoever concerning his justice, and yet freedom for us who are imprisoned in sin. And he does it by swapping himself in. Jesus, the Son of God, takes the justice and gives us the mercy. Now that is extraordinary. So God's gracious and compassionate disposition is not in conflict with his justice. It's not as though he's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and we have to weigh it up and hope that we get on the right side. No, he is a 100% holy, righteous, just, and he is fully gracious and compassionate. We don't have to pull the pedal back on how gracious and compassionate God is uh, in order to make sure that we uphold justice. No, 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 no. We can have both fully. All justice will be met with. All wrongdoings are dealt with. The punishment will either land on on the individual, or they can have the swap and Jesus can take it for them. Do take the swap. Do accept the gift of mercy in Jesus. The second thing that we can get, uh, way that we can get this wrong is, is with God's gracious and compassionate disposition is, is uh, that it might be something that he switches on and off. It's a similar kind of idea to what we've just thought about now. Lamentations are corrects us really quite beautifully in this. Uh, it's about chapter three and verse 22 to 23. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Why? For his compassions never fail or never end. Verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. New every single morning. What a great way to picture it. Hey, every single morning as the sun rises, reset, reset, new mercies, new grace, new compassions. That's how they don't fail. Day after 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 day. 
the Lord is gracious today. And you know what he's going to be? He's going to be gracious tomorrow. He's going to be compassionate tomorrow. It could be easy to think uh, that when we're going through a hard time in particular, that God has switched off his grace and his compassion toward us. But even in our hardship, God has not stopped being gracious. This is what James, in, uh, in in his letter in the New Testament, he tells us to consider the story of Job, uh, that great sufferer. Not because he was doing anything wrong, Job. It was, it was suffering. He, he's the uh, kind of quintessential uh, righteous sufferer apart from Jesus. And James says, note God's purpose in Job's suffering. This is what James says. He says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How he is very compassionate and merciful. The Lord sees, the Lord knows. The Lord has not switched off his compassion in Job's trial and Job's suffering. He has his purpose and it is always for him compassionate and gracious. And lastly, it's not something that we make God become. The prayer could be restated in a different way. Uh, it could be uh, the, the prayer of the psalmist, I mean. It could be saying, uh, you could say it like this. Uh, be what you are already, but be that toward me. And what I'm saying here is, it's not that we make God gracious. He is gracious. When we, when we seek his grace and, and compassion, we are saying, be what you are toward me. And that's the initiating grace and compassion of God. No, none, of us, none of us here that are here today were alive when Jesus died on the cross, but he died for our sins. It couldn't be more clear that he took the initiative for that to happen. But that was the case for every single person that ever existed. God took the initiative. Out of the overflow of his compassion and gracious heart, he sent his son. And Romans 5 makes that so clear when it says, while we were yet sinners, while we were indeed enemies of God, he demonstrated his love toward us by sending his son. That is how God loved the world. While we were enemies, while we were yet sinners, not that there was something lovely about us or that we persuaded him. No, he took the initiative because that's who he is. He's so full of compassion. If there's anything in us at all, it is our miserable and pitiable state that moves God to compassion. But don't be fooled into thinking that we persuaded him to be gracious to us. There's some wrong ways to understand God's graciousness and compassion in itself, but there are also wrong ways to think about that with respect to us, how his grace and compassion relates to us. I'll just give you these three here. The first one is to think that we don't need it. To think we don't need God's compassion. Who among us can honestly say that our record is clean? To think this way only fools ourselves, does it not? I would go so far as to say, I think, it is a state of pride and delusion not to see that we are morally corrupt. So much for God's standards, we actually fall short of our own. I would, I would condemn myself if I were judged by the same standard that I use for others. 
Can you not say the same about yourself? Secondly, uh, we can think wrongly about God's grace and compassion toward us uh, in thinking that we kind of deserve it, or at least that God really should give it because that's kind of what it's like. That's like his job, you know. But is this not a profound arrogance? Can we imagine someone for ourselves who has deeply, knowingly and brazenly, <coughs> sorry, brazenly wronged us, returning to us with an attitude that reeks of entitlement to forgiveness from us? Does this not, rather, heighten how little they deserve it? Does not a sense of deserving grace and compassion become a cause for actually not deserving it? The truth is the door to the kingdom is wide open. It's just a low door and only the humble will stoop themselves down to enter it. It's not something we deserve. It's something that God, because of his massive warm heart, freely gives and the third wrong way to think about God's grace and, and, and compassion toward us is to think that we are beyond it because our sin is too great. No one is beyond it. The worst of sins deserves the worst of punishments. And the worst of punishments has been paid because Jesus died. He didn't sit in the naughty corner. He died. All sins worthy of punishments all the way up to death have been paid for. The most shameful and embarrassing sins are all here included. He was stripped and mocked and publicly scorned and all the venom that we might, that we fear might come to us if only they knew has been paid by him. He has covered all and white are the robes that he gives, washed by his precious blood. It is no good to uh, not lean because of our sin. We must precisely lean on him as the one who is the forgiver of our sin. Now, as we uh, come to the last couple of reflections uh, for this morning. There's one crucial, crucial thing that we've not considered yet. And that's the distinction between God's heart and his actions. So far, I've mainly been talking about God's heart, about what he's like, about his disposition as, I've been, as the word that I've been using. I said that the Psalm writer knew God was gracious because God had revealed himself this way to Moses at Exodus, right? That's what I've said. But the psalm writer also knew because God had demonstrated himself to be so in history. The psalm writer looks up and sees not only God's warm heart and disposition, but also his gracious and compassionate actions in the past and promises for the future. God's compassion and grace have not just remained feelings, they've become actions in history. And so Israel's history becomes an example of this. Judges, the people sin and sin and sin and sin and sin 
and the Lord looks down and has pity. He has mercy. He shows compassion. He is gracious. And on and on and on and on they go. And what does the psalm writer see? The psalm writer sees, right, <laughs> you really are gracious and compassionate. Now, it wasn't just those words that came uh, as Moses was hiding in the mountain. We've seen it demonstrated. Not only that, not only have you been gracious and forgiven what we've done in the past, you've gone beyond that and you've promised things for the future. <laughs> you've gone way beyond giving us what we deserve. That's why in Psalm 103, he says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. No, 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 he doesn't. Nowhere near what our sins deserve. Our sins deserve us to be plunged into the depths of the sea. But God says, no, 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 no. I'll go down there, I'll take you up, not level, but add promises and put you way up here because that's what I'm like. And so the prayer becomes, be gracious to me, not just because that's who you are right in your heart, but because you've demonstrated yourself to be so over and over again in our history and you've promised to be gracious to us in the future. And then what happens uh, is that story finds its fullness in Jesus. In giving him. And Jesus comes and as I've already said, he weeps over Jerusalem. We see Jesus showing compassion to sinners. The woman who is dragged before him in adultery compassion. The crowd who is hungry and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he's moved with compassion. This truth about God's heart and actions makes the hope and confidence of a Christian different from a Muslim, if I've understood correctly. Allah, I'm told, is most merciful. Now, that's an encouraging sign for one who hopes to find favour in his eyes. But it's no guarantee that she will. But the Christian's confidence and hope that she will find a smiling face on the other side of death's door lies not less in the fact that God's heart is truly warm, big-hearted, soft, compassionate, towards weak sinners like us, but it is more. Her hope is grounded in the real, historical, concrete demonstration of God's compassion offered in Jesus Christ. It's not that I hope he will be gracious to me, it's that I know he has been gracious to me. I don't hope my sins will be forgiven. I know they have been paid for by the precious and effective blood of Jesus spilled in history. I'm not looking to get to that day and think, I hope that he really was down in the depths gracious enough to cover me. It's that payment has been made and that payment is effective. That payment was... Uh, happened in real time, in history, it has been done. The Lord has shown and acted, I am gracious and compassionate and I've done something about it. This is 
Uh, there's no speculation in this hope. This is a different kind of hope. And so when Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, right? Take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You know that when you come to him, he is going to give you grace. All who are thirsty, he says, come and drink from me. Not that you might get some water, but that you will get water. Or he says, uh, the scriptures say, it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be saved, will be saved. Because God has brought salvation in Jesus. So where does this leave, where does this leave us now? What do we do now if we have seen that the Lord is gracious and compassionate? Well, first thing we can do is enjoy and praise. Is this not fitting? Is it not fitting to enjoy? I pray for myself that the eyes of my heart might look up and see his warm heart towards me. Not a cold God, but a warm God. Not a harsh God, but a gentle God. A compassionate God. A God who knows my frame. Maybe it's that you need to come to Jesus today and to give him your life. Maybe you need your sins forgiven. Maybe you need that saving grace for yourself. I can encourage you to follow that up, as I said at the beginning. Do reach out. I'd love to speak to you. One application is certainly that the psalm writer wants our prayers and confessions to be grounded in God. I pray that it would transform our prayers. I pray that when we feel shame and we feel sin and we're not sure that we could come to God, that we would be able to turn to him and see that he is gracious and compassionate and that we would be able to follow right through, not less than seeing his big heart, but all the way through to that real action, that work on the cross where Christ paid for those sins so that you can say to your sin, God has been gracious to me. He has paid for my sin. And surely we can't ourselves remain unchanged. Can we? How can we see God's compassion and not reflect upon ourselves and be changed? For myself, uh, this is, I hope, uh, means growing as a gracious and compassionate dad. Not hard, but gentle, soft, warm, easily approachable, more than easily approachable. Or for me, uh, to look out on a sinful and hurting world, not be critical, judgmental, mean, cold, but to be compassionate, to be moved with the sufferings and the sins of the world. Surely our compassion must lead to telling others, mustn't it? That they might know the saving grace of God in Christ and to helping others' needs. So, for example, as a church, one practical way uh, that we see it happening in our midst uh, is Anna Vines. Anna Vines, uh, she uh, works uh, as a physiotherapist to help disabled children in Africa um, and helps to seek to spell, uh, dispel uh, the stigma surrounding children born with disabilities. Hey, how good is that? Uh, that this, is, this flows from seeing the God who is compassionate. 
Uh, this is why Christians have organizations uh, established to demonstrate compassion. I'm sure that you can think of other ways. May the Lord help us first to see him as gracious and compassionate, to receive that grace and mercy in Jesus, and then to flow out in both our hearts and our actions uh, towards those around us. Let's pray and give thanks as I close. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that this is who you are. We praise you, Lord, and we long that we would be able to go uh, all the way to the depths uh, to totally throw ourselves uh, into the ocean of your goodness. Refresh and comfort us, we pray. I pray for those that might be feeling that you are hard or find this hard to see that you could be like this. I pray, Lord, that you would break through uh, our doubts, our unbeliefs, and that you would melt our hearts. I pray, Lord, that it would not just remain in our lives uh, something we've heard today, but that we would truly be changed as we see you. May we become more like you. Not only in what we think and how we are, but in what we do. We pray this for the sake of your son's name. Uh, to him be all glory. Uh, make much of him, we pray. And we pray in his name. Amen.